digital purity by the virtually unlimited information available on the Internet and the World Wide Web. We're inspired by our passion for providing meaning from it, by creating something from the chaos that makes a difference to others. Passion has always driven growth, and passion is even more important in today's world. For it is passion and conviction that hold people and their companies and customers together in the Internet world. The passion that created the business, the passion that drives employees, and that creates loyal customers, that is the mortar. Startup companies seem to automatically inspire passion and conviction in the garage-to-penthouse dreams for their founders. But how do they maintain it? And how do existing companies find and inspire this passion and conviction in people, some of whom might be used to working in a more static and reliable environment? How do these companies use passion to drive change and growth? These questions and our answers arise in part from our experience of working together at one of the world's fastest growing and most innovative financial services companies. So why us? Well, we've seen and been part of the remarkable shift in the business environment brought about by the clicks of the computer. We know firsthand that passion is the all-important mortar of the Internet world. With our combined backgrounds, we bring a unique perspective to the topic. Our collective experience is academic, consultative, and operational. Between the two of us, we've studied, taught, advised, and actually had to apply the principles that we speak of here in a wide variety of circumstances. When we first met in 1992, Dave had become president of the Charles Schwab Corporation and president and CEO of its chief subsidiary, Charles Schwab & Company, Inc., I was a university teacher and communications consultant who coached executives in authenticity and inspiration. The timing could not have been better. We were destined to spend the next few years in partnership as Dave grew to become co-CEO with Chuck Schwab of the entire corporation. And I built my practice and authored Leading Out Loud, an acclaimed book on leadership communication. Having spent a few years with my hands on the levers of a small part of IBM, I understand the real issues of trying to make the numbers work without doing the work yourself. But my primary emphasis for the last 20 years has been the application of leadership by others as a consultant, writer, coach, and university teacher. Mine is largely a conceptual perspective that is largely unmarked by battle scars. My practice and teaching responsibilities provide great opportunities to read theory and to see principles at work in different organizations and with different leaders. Conversely, Dave has had to put all of the concepts to the test. Although he's also had a background as a university teacher, he's found his greatest success in operations, in actual leadership. He's spoken to audiences of employees and year after year searched for ways to keep them inspired, sometimes even when executive decisions are being broadly questioned. He's coached other executives in the firm, occasionally reaching the dreadful conclusion that one of them just couldn't grow fast enough to keep up and would have to be replaced. He's participated in many big decisions to launch products, funded multi-million dollar projects, expanded into new businesses, and occasionally made bet-the-future kinds of commitments. Together, we've explored the very tough issues of growing and transforming a business at a time of unprecedented change in the industry. Our shared experience makes us especially suited to explore the questions of the future. 
No business is more of a pure bellwether for the new economy, where information is power and rapid change its currency, than financial investment services. Thanks to electronic information and transactions, there is precious little time to enjoy competitive advantage in the actual products that Schwab offers. So the only true differentiation is in the way in which the company serves customers and the speed with which we innovate on their behalf. Buying 100 shares of IBM will have the same impact on a portfolio pretty much wherever a customer does the transaction. But the way in which that service is delivered, the total experience that the customer has in the process of the transaction, how the customer trusts the company he or she deals with, the company's ability to introduce innovations ahead of competitors, these things differentiate one firm from others. Then because Schwab and the industry depend on technology, people, and the interaction between the two, Growing profitability requires leadership that generates the loyalty of people both inside and outside the company. It takes passionate leadership to establish the right environment for employee and customer relationships to develop and grow strong in an atmosphere of mutual trust, respect, and excitement. Because of its significance in the world of business and our depth of involvement there, many of the examples we present are from recent experiences at Schwab we were asked at the outset of the project to define the essence of this book, the most important message for readers. And in summary, it's this. The book is what we know about growing as a leader in every dimension and expressing that leadership in the context of a leading business operating in a network world. It includes the way we've learned to increase competence and trustworthiness. And it also includes ways of increasing revenue and income. If we've met our goals, you'll finish reading Clicks and Mortar armed with new tools to grow a business, some insight into what it will take to grow yourself at the same time, and a strong sense that the two are inseparable. So with that understanding, let's begin. This is the introduction to Part 1, Culture at the Core, Creating a Passionate Corporate Culture in the Internet age. We all live inside of culture. It's the water we swim in. We don't often see it because it is a given. Culture is the sum of our beliefs, what we accept as right and wrong, and all of the expressions of those beliefs. A nation's culture speaks to us through its many languages, its poetry, its prose, its art, through the action that it takes and the alliances it builds, and perhaps not so obviously, through its forms of government and commerce. A company's culture has the same indicators. Dave and I believe that in this business world driven by the Internet, which requires rapid and continuous innovation to compete, corporate culture is the central competitive advantage. It is for this reason that we address the fundamental aspects of culture, what it is, why it's important, and how it is built and sustained in the first part of this book. Culture is the underlayment, the foundation. As a consultant and teacher, I define corporate culture as a set of values, a common language, and all of the actions that make the values real. I further define values as the non-negotiable tenets against which we measure the worthiness of our choices. Accordingly, 
the values inherent in the culture are the basis for creating meaning for those who live and work in it. Please notice that values don't always dictate our behavior, but they do form the basis for our judgment of the worthiness of that behavior. This may seem like an academic distinction, and if we were merely observing culture, it would be exactly that. But when we begin to build culture rather than observe it, this distinction between the actual and the ideal forms the primary measuring stick for our success. Building culture is deliberate and difficult. It is not, as some of the business press would have us believe, done merely by wearing casual dress and having beer and pizza parties on Friday nights. It is, at its heart, a thoughtful and lasting endeavor that starts with defining what is most important to us at the core. So why should we do such hard work? Why would we want to build a culture anyway? The answer to these questions lies in the new reality of business. As recently as the 1970s, culture was a very squishy thing to most corporate executives in the United States. It was only after we began to get our business brains beaten out by Japanese companies that favored consensus and participation that we paid any attention at all to the intangible, sometimes difficult to measure, softer elements that inspired workers to produce more and better goods and services. Quality was the initial driver. American executives, perhaps a bit grudgingly, bought into the idea that if workers had more say in the process of manufacturing, then they would take more pride in their work, using their own ideas to produce a better quality, more consistent product. The shift in thinking marked a major change, or more real.